back to another episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. I'm Sean. And I'm Ed's. We're yeah. doing baseball. We're doing baseball. We're doing it again. And yes, 24 times, baby. All right. 24. Episode 24. Can you believe we we made it? I don't know where we made it to. <laughs> was 24 your 20, goal? 24 was my goal. <laughs> that's, well, a, that's a full year of episodes for us. That's true. Yeah. So congratulations, buddy. Congratulations, Ed's. We're... Uh, we're going to we pat just, ourselves on the back. Just check something here. Testing. We're testing. testing. One, two, three. Testing. 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 Why are we testing? Bumblebee. Bumblebee? Yeah. Testing, testing. All day long, we sing the testing microphone song. Wait, all right. Oh, I don't know. I don't know either. I stole it from Conan O'Brien. <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> if you don't know the format to the podcast, we take turns. It's telling, bi-weekly. Telling, yes, bi-weekly. Telling baseball stories from history. Stories from baseball history. Yes. I don't know the, the vernacular. <laughs> yeah, so, well, that's what we do, and the other person doesn't know what the story is going to be about. So, uh, And I have one for you today. Well, you, hold on. Before I'm, you, not, I'm not getting into it. I'm oh, just okay. letting you know I have a story. I did my story. You well, texted me last night and was like, hey, you have a story, dude. And I was like, shit. Yeah. So I think this is going to be great, but it also might be a mail-in episode. You think so? No, I think it's. No, I, I think every. We can't think like that. Every baseball fan is going to want to hear this episode. It's just, uh, you know, it was a little bit shorter than I thought. I was like, oh my god, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. And uh, you know, I lost a little bit of steam like halfway through and started. Questioning Sometimes that myself. happens. That's happened to me a couple times. So I'm cracking a beer. Okay. Uh, before we get started, I want to say thanks to our listeners for getting us up over 800 downloads. That's fantastic. So, uh, people that listen to us, we would also like to encourage you to share with your friends so we can get up over 1,000. <laughs> Hopefully. Or more. 1,000 downloads would be beyond my wildest dreams when we started this thing. Yeah, I didn't really expect that much, but thank you to everyone that's listened to us yeah. and... Uh, I've been handing out. If you haven't got one yet, we, we got our uh, a logo. We got a business card, and mm-hmm. I've been handing. It's got it an out. incorrect Instagram handle, but, <laughs> but it's that's all good. Fine. The rest is us. good. They'll find us. They know where to find us. Yeah. Uh, and there was something I, I I discovered the other day. So I, I was handing out the cards. I was, I was actually playing baseball. Yeah, uh, I was supposed to get you back on this track, but you've done it yourself. I've so. done it myself. Let's hear about Sean's glorious can, return to the I pitching I can mat. still fucking pitch, all right? <laughs> I can pitch. I don't know how hard I was throwing. Probably low 90s, maybe low 100s. <laughs> In all realism, maybe high 70s. This has somehow become the Sean Flagellation <laughs> yeah. podge- podcast. Yeah. I, just, I was trying to tell you. You said save it for the podcast. So I found okay. out okay. I can still pitch. Mm-hmm. I can still spot up. Mm-hmm. At 31, after a long hiatus, mm-hmm. I went out and I practiced I, with a with a men's league team, and I threw a bullpen, and I felt great. 
That's good. I'm va- I'm happy for you. Until I woke up the next day. Oh no! <laughs> and I couldn't move my right shoulder. Oh, <laughs> it was. So you are 31. Oh man, it was two days. I I could work from home on Monday, but I had to take the Tuesday off because I had no more work. How to long do from home. since you pitched competitively? Oh, like ten years. Oh, yeah. yeah so the yeah, like, you're using some muscles that you oh my God. haven't used probably in in that in that fashion in over a decade so. i i was just like oh my god like i like the catcher was just like all right bud well let's just see if you can hit the zone and i was spotting <laughs> up and i was loving it i wasn't throwing anything off speed i was just throwing two seamers and four seamers it was it was great until i woke up the next day and oh my god well, i just this... understand why players retire in yeah. their 30s started stretching regime and before you know it well, you never know. Who knows what happened? All right, let's get into yeah, this. Tell, tell me the story. Okay. So, the real story. Here we go. And as I say, baseball fans, uh, I I want to say I kind of leave out the plot to the whole story, but it's not about the plot because you've probably seen this before. So on Monday, April 3rd, 1989, the MLB season opened. After a long, cold winter, baseball was back. Cleveland opened the year against the Milwaukee Brewers. Oda B. McDowell's double in the bottom of the third scored two runs to give the to give Cleveland a two nothing lead. Oda B. McDowell. Yeah, that's a real person. That's a great name. That's amazing. It was. It was. What is it with this sport and like just amazing names? Amazing names just seem we'll to. Get, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, they didn't or they wouldn't give up uh, that lead. Uh, Greg Swindle pitched eight and a third innings of one-run baseball, giving way to Doug Jones, who got the last two outs while throwing just eight pitches to get the save. Okay. But this story... So the Indians won? They did. Right. This story is not about that Cleveland team, though. That team sucked. Okay. (laughs) They finished sixth in the AL East, 16 games below 500. Cleveland was a perpetual garbage dump. Of the AL East. They, hence, were, they yeah. were still in the AL East mm-hmm. at the time. Hence the movie. Hence the movie. There's a movie? Major League. No, this story is not about that opening day. This story is about an opening day that took place four days later. On April 7th, another Cleveland team oh, appeared man. on screen yes. across the United Yay. States. <laughs> is this what it's about? Oh, buddy. This was the team of misfits, delinquents, yeah. and an over-the-hill catcher, all managed by a gruff and irritable manager by the name of Lou Brown. Yes. I, uh, of course, am talking about the movie Major League. One of my favorites. Are you ready to hear the history behind the story of, or behind the movie Major League? Yeah. All right. Very excited about it, in fact. David Wood was born October 25th, 1945. He grew up in South Euclid, Ohio. He cheered for Cleveland growing up. Uh, He was just two weeks shy of his third birthday when Cleveland won the World Series on October 11th, 1948. In 1954, Cleveland won 111 games, which was, I believe, the record uh, for a long time, Mm -hmm. uh, and won the pennant, but were swept in a deflating, lackluster World Series. Featuring the catch mm-hmm. that a Cleveland player did. Yes. <laughs> I, Willie Mays. Yes. Uh, so, just like that, it was all over. 
As many of you know, it would take almost 50 years before Cleveland became relevant again in the baseball landscape. Ward witnessed greatness as a kid and spent his later years as a child, his teen years, and his young adult life yearning for a winner. Wishing he could turn on his TV and see his, see his team play meaningful baseball again. Ward grew up and went to film school at UCLA. He was employed at an educational film production company when he sold his screenplay for The Sting, 1973 movie which led to an Oscar win for Best Original Screenplay. Okay. So dude's balling. He's right He's out of doing film school good. and he yep. just won an Oscar. Uh, Ward found success in Hollywood, although it would take a while before he would repeat it. Ward came up with the idea he wanted to make a baseball movie where his team won. Uh, (laughs) Doesn't everyone. Everyone. Doesn't everyone. A yearning that many fans across the baseball landscape can attest to. All the way back in 1982, he pitched it to producers, but nobody bit. Finally, the Sting star, Robert Redford, contracted Ward to work on... The Malagro Beanfield War. <laughs> what Ward, is that? I have no idea what that. I should have looked up what that movie was, but I it, thought you were going to say The Natural. No, 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 no. Uh, I'm sure that's Natural was '84. Anyways, it's something like uh, that. Yeah. And Ward was able to convince Morgan Creek Productions and Mirage Productions to bankroll the major league. So basically, he got a good movie with Robert Redford again, and then okay. was, had some clout and was like, come on. Come on. I want, to I want Cleveland I want to win. This is the only way. to win it. Um, so he, can, <laughs> he did that to Morgan Creek Productions and Mirage Productions, uh, so they gave him the money to do it. Ward wanted a film to have a real feel to it. When looking to cast actors, Ward didn't just audition with them. He played catch with them. That's smart. Yeah. So Ward took the actors outside and just literally played catch while they, like, talked about the movie or, like, had them recite lines or whatever. Like, do you think if, like, the guy was being cast as an infielder, he would, like, spike it to them? I would imagine. I have no... I mean, he's already be smart thinking... Too. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, so he observed <laughs> how they threw the ball and was set on having the film look as authentic as possible, like people were actually watching a baseball team. And he still picked Roger Dorn. Uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> He didn't want to have have to hide subpar mechanics and cuts with cuts and camera angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actors eventually even took batting practice in later auditions. Nice. Yeah. So uh, he apparently he's a method director. So here's what I here here's what I found out um, that apparently Tim Robbins can't throw. Can't. Can't throw. So Bull Durham. Oh, okay. Is about Tim Robbins as a pitcher. Yeah. And apparently, he just was like, fuck that. Like, you can clearly, like, if you're a film person, probably, like, for the layman, like, for a regular person, it's, it's mm-hmm. you wouldn't see it. But, you know, you can see, if you watch Bill Durham, the cuts to, like, actually make him look like a pitcher. And he's right, just like, right. fuck that. That's too hard. Like, I just want to actually film someone throwing the ball, not film someone yeah. throwing it poorly and having to cut in like an arm flying that's not actually theirs and like a you know huh. extra... hot, hot take time exactly anyway no no hot take time okay not a big fan of bull durham Ooh. i don't want to like really expand on it too much but like not a big fan i mean i like the interaction of the players yeah like it's a very good example of like crash davis taking nuke Lelouch under his wing and like showing him that you can't just be a cocky prick yeah but 
like, yeah, I don't know. Just not a big fan of Bull Durham as a whole. There, I think there's better baseball movies. Fair, I you know I won't like Major argue. League. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? Now we're getting into <laughs> this is the, <laughs> this is the trial of Bill Durham. Yeah, no, you. It is. I need to rewatch it. It. I will say it's been at least half decade since I've seen that movie. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there is some there's some moments in Bull Durham that that are hard to compete with. Right. Right. It it is a good movie. Don't get me yeah, wrong. No, no, no. It's okay. just right. my hot take is that it's not number one. Oh, it's not okay. That's not that hot. That's yeah. not that. Don't yeah. get all hot. Okay. Not hot. No, not hot. Bothered. Not. By that. I mean, it's it's yeah. Okay. All right. All right. If you Carry- were gonna say not top ten, then that would be. Oh hot no, no 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 no. Okay. No. All right. All right. Carry so, on. Uh, Tim Robbins can't throw. Tim Robbins can't throw. Uh, that's not even written in here. I just brought that up. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hear that, Tim Robbins? <laughs> so being in Hollywood, uh, Ward uh, went to the Dodgers and to Tommy Lasorda. Because uh, that's what you do, apparently. Well, it's Hollywood's team. Yeah, exactly. So he needed a technical advisor, someone who knew the game back to front and could whip his cast into shape and make them look like real ball players. Perfect guy. Lasorda content- connected him to Steve Yeager. Oh, okay. Exactly. Steve Yeager uh, played 15 years in the major leagues as a catcher, mm-hmm. 14 of which for the L.A. Dodgers. Mm-hmm. He backstopped the Dodgers to multiple World Series appearances mm-hmm. and won championship in 1981 and was... Named one of three World Series co-MVPs that year. What? Exactly. Along with Ron Say and Pedro Guerrero. <laughs> Bless you. I'm like, <laughs> when I read he was co-MVP, I'm like, I wonder who he's co-MVP with. And then I'm like, two? <laughs> yeah, two of them. <laughs> There's three MVPs that year. And like, he didn't have that great of a World Series. He had like two home runs, but like, he was, it wasn't like... They were just very charitable that I, year. I guess. Like, I don't ah. understand why you... Anyways. Just and the it. MVP is the whole Dodgers team. <laughs> they won. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Make up your mind, 1981. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Jaeger had recently retired and jumped at the opportunity uh, to work on the film. Jaeger became Ward's baseball drill sergeant, essentially. And when Ward left to scout locations for filming, Jaeger put the cast through a two-week baseball boot camp. Uh, which I'm sure was just with Charlie Sheen and Tom Berenger. And it was probably a party. Yeah. Uh, who were the actors? Well, the best player of them all, uh, both, like, literally... Uh, was Charlie Sheen. Oh, yeah? uh, Who was clocked at 80 miles per hour early. Not bad. That's very good for somebody that doesn't play baseball. Mm -hmm. And was easily the best of the group uh, that was cast um, to play, obviously, Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn. Yeah. Corbin Bernson, who plays Roger Dorn, and Dennis Haybert, who played Serrano, uh, both played in high school. uh, Both played high school baseball, so they were, like, okay you know, they were mm-hmm. they they knew how to uh, didn't necessarily need hats for bats, but uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a young and unknown actor at the time by the name of Wesley Snipes was cast to play Willie Mays Hayes, yep. the speedy outfielder. Snipes was not too familiar with the game, but was a great athlete and apparently learned pretty quickly. 
finally, Tom Berenger was cast as the over the hill, still promo- and still problematically in love with his ex, Jake Taylor. <laughs> yeah. I added problematically. Yes. Because it's it's not a good look. It's not a good look. If yeah. this is that's the one part of this movie that I just right. hate. Now. I know. I agree. And I don't want this is about the history. Right. This is not like us reviewing this movie. No. Um, yeah. but let me tell you that Jake Taylor's has, Shitty. He has a problematic uh, view of uh, uh, his uh, ex. Rel- yeah, that his basically she belongs with Rene to Russo. him. Yeah, and he should just stalk her until she decides that she's his. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's not Boo. not a good look. Uh, and uh, you know who we can blame for that? David Ward, because he wrote the movie. <laughs> David Ward. All right. So, <laughs> so Ward's Ward's a creepo. Yeah, carry um, on. Let's see. I lost my spot. <laughs> Words of Creepo. Words of Creepo. Oh, yeah. So for two weeks, he trained the actors. The idea was to train them as much to look like ball players as it was to keep them from getting hurt during the filming. Uh, obviously, yeah. baseball has a lot of starts and stops very quickly. So you pull a muscle very yeah, easily. Exactly. And Tear a ligament. And then the actor can't act for two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's literally mm-hmm. like having a DL. Um, yeah. Uh, so he was just like, just do get them, make them, make them look like baseball players, and make sure they don't pull a hammy. That's your job, Yags. Um, <laughs> That's uh, fair enough. Yeah. So Ward worried the abrupt movement handily. would would cause them to pull a muscle or tweak it back. The reason the film would work was because of how bad Cleveland was. Uh, Ward wanted to capture the mistrust and exhaustion and exhaustion that envelops so many down on their luck fan bases. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just weeks before the cameras were set to start rolling, something happened. Cleveland started to win. In real life. (laughs) Yes. A team that had lost 101 games in 1987 all of a sudden came out of the gate hot in 1988. They got off to the best start in Cleveland baseball history, in fact, and won 11 of their first 13 games. Okay. Um... Uh... They were half a game out of first place come June uh, after they swept the Blue Jays. Ward watched intently, one side of him hoping his childhood dream would come true and the other side hoping a collapse that would do nothing but add misery to the Cleveland face- faithful and underlying... I was going to say, you would be team. torn in two directions because yeah. you'd be like, oh, they win... This movie makes no fucking sense. Yeah. It's like it comes out the next year yeah. and they're like champions. Yeah. And but you're trying to sell a story that they've never won ever. And so if just... the 1988 Cleveland Indians... Damn it, I said it. No, I was you trying, were trying to... not ah, to. Fuck that. Uh, if the 1988 Actually, Cleveland team won, mm-hmm. this movie might have been shelved. Right. Think yeah. about that. Ah, butterfly but effect. They didn't win. Uh, <laughs> on June 8th, the team was 36 and 21, and uh, half game out of first place. But in true Cleveland fashion, everything fell apart. They went 5 and 15 the rest of the month, and by the All Star break, were hovering around 500. They finished that year six games below 500, well out of the playoff race. Mm-hmm. The loser reputation held strong. So shooting started... So Ward psyched. Yeah. I guess Ward psyched either way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he would have... It was a win-win for him. Yeah. So... He's stand to profit more by them losing than them winning. 
it's financially, but spiritually. Yeah, it's a spiritual victory <laughs> if they win, but it's, yeah. Well, do you know what would be even worse? What? If they, like, if they like lost, like, the World Series in Game 7, because then he, or, or like, the ALCS uh, in Game 7, because then they'd be winners, but also losers, so the movie might get delayed or shelved, but at the same point... He got some success, but like but lost he didn't it. Get so close to the dream. Yeah, imagine how bad it could have gone. That he yeah. just would have like given up. You should be like, grateful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, <laughs> God damn it! Where was I? <laughs> uh, so shooting started. They they started in the summer of '88. Uh, Ward uh, was not able to film at Cleveland's Municipal Stadium uh, because the Cleveland Browns preseason schedule as well as some union issues, according to Ward. So that sounds sketchy, too. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, the Browns are playing, and there's some union issues. Which union? <laughs> well, I'm assuming... The filmmakers? I, film I would actors assume, killed? maybe. I don't know. I'm assuming... The, it, the Teamsters? Yeah. Yeah, it was just... That's sort of so eerie comment. Just like, because of this and the unions. <laughs> <laughs> Make um, of that what you will. So all the baseball scenes were actually shot in Milwaukee at Milwaukee Municipal Stadium, home uh, to the Brewers. Uh, while the crew was still able to shoot exteriors and the amazing opening sequence in Cleveland, of mm-hmm. course. Like, we should we should talk about the opening sequence. It's Just, great. It is one of the best. It's the Randy Newman song? Yes. Yeah, it's Randy Newman. So. Yeah, that's all it needs. <laughs> that's all it, it just it just but it captures like because it goes through and then you see all the all the working class people you know mm-hmm. chatting about the team. Yeah, and just those shots of that like Midwest. So they they actually had to shoot it in Milwaukee. Um, by the time shooting was ready, Jaeger had whipped the actors into shape and made baseball players out of them. Uh, the same way a director hires a drill sergeant to whip actors into soldiers. I don't know why I keep saying whip. (laughs) (laughs) But one actor took it a step further. Charlie Sheen, who plays Ricky Vaughn, has admitted to juicing himself up to be better and better looking for the movie. Better looking? Uh, no. To play better and just look... Oh, look better. Better. Like... That's right. Charlie Sheen was using steroids in 1989 on the baseball field. Do you see me batting an eye? No. One little bit. One. An idea that have no may. I snorted them. Yeah. <laughs> and no doubt that might have come from some of the very big stars at the time. What? Well, think about 89. You got the Bash Bros going on. Right. right. They're the biggest thing since sliced so bread. bread. And Charlie Sheen's the big movie star. You know, they might have been rubbing shoulders. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's what happened. But it's I'm probably also, what happened. Eh, it might have happened. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and confirm that that's what happened. <laughs> Don't say No, that's. <laughs> it's not what happened. I'm just talking. Sheen's to you. fastball apparently <laughs> went from 80 to 85 while training and juicing. 80 to 85. It's a five mile per hour improvement. Is that good? That's very good. (laughs) If you can do that in two weeks, like, good luck. Two weeks. Exactly. I said it was a two-week baseball boot camp. So Jaeger actually joined the cast as third base coach known as Duke, look at this fucking guy, Temple. (laughs) That's him? I believe so. Nice. I really didn't take the time to research that, but based on a couple Google photos and watching that scene, it's him. Look at this fucking guy. Nice. Uh, 
Uh, not only that, but Jaeger filled in for Behringer. So Behringer was the worst of the bunch baseball-wise. Oh, right, wise. right. But he Bad was, knees. And he was the catcher. Mm-hmm. So he had all the catcher's equipment. So anytime they needed him to do something, to... and Jaeger was a catcher. Mm-hmm. So it was just, he basically. Second nature for him. Yeah. So he's third base coach and he's Behringer's baseball double, essentially. Yeah. Um, another character that made the film what it was, was Harry Doyle. Played by the one and only Bob Euchre, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, just. Like the greatest, you can't say goddamn on the air. <laughs> just the greatest performance, like, like John Candy and Rookie of the Year does like the the child's version of right, it. Right, right, yeah. But like the the just just no, it's just it's incredible. Bob Euchre is just joke after joke, one liner after one liner as the commentator, and you're right, it adds so much to that movie. Like uh, I don't know how like. When, when I go and play softball in the summers, those are the quotes that are getting said. Are just, Harry Doyle's line? Oh, just, just a bit a outside. outside. Uh, you know? it's just... God, I can't believe guys are laying pitches this close. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so basically, Ward wanted Euchre right from the start. Yeah. And he knew he was a baseball guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he convinced the studio, not just because Euchre knew the game... Uh, being a former player, but because he starred in a very popular Miller Lite commercial at mm-hmm. the time. Right. As well on, like, what's that sitcom? Fuck, what is that sitcom? I knew uh, I'd... Uh, Mr. Har- Hooper? Is it Mr. I, Hooper? Mr. Belvedere? Mr. Belvedere, yeah, that's Mr. the one. Belvedere. See? Yeah, Mr. Belvedere, yeah. I have these things that I'm like, I'll remember that it's when I'm doing the podcast. And I was I looking up Mr. Belvedere the other day for God knows what reason. Yeah. But anyway. So that's the ridiculous part. Is it's not only they they didn't be like well that guy's like a play by play guy and we're in Milwaukee and he's in Milwaukee mm-hmm. this was all just like done all beforehand right and they were just like well get that guy from the Miller Lite commercial to, <laughs> he's a former baseball player and, and apparently he just happened to live next door to where they were filming uh, yeah so apparently they didn't even know he was actually the Brewers play by play guy until they met him in person. <laughs> So they cast him based off the commercial yeah. and nothing else. Yeah. Okay. okay. Like, I he thought... used to play baseball and he's in these great beer commercials. So we'll get that guy. Oh, I thought it was like a collective of all of them. So the play-by-play was a surprise. Oh. Yeah. Ward didn't know Euchre was the Brewers play-by-play announcer until they met in person to discuss him getting the role. Uh, Euchre's lines were mostly ad-libbed. He would be given direction. <laughs> that makes it so much exactly. better. Exactly. <laughs> Ward told him, just be Harry Doyle and say whatever the hell pops into your head. That's amazing. Yeah, just so... One hit? <laughs> we only got one goddamn hit? <laughs> 30 years later, uh, and Euchre's lines are still probably the greatest part of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Uh the four fans we see throughout the movie were all written into the script and given quite detailed backstories. Uh, for the amount of time that they're actually shown. Like, one guy's like a house painter, and it has, like, all their ages and stuff Yeah, like which that. one's the guy that proclaimed the home run was too high? <laughs> What's his job? I don't know. See, this is the thing. I get Major League One and Two mixed up with the people in the stands, right? Mm. So it's it's uh, it's the, the Randy Quaid's in the number two, right? No, I think he's in the first one. Is he? Yeah, I think so. All right. Anyway, well, carry on. Yeah, so we don't need to if you look this. closely, the older woman is actually knitting a blanket with all the game's scores that's later hung on the railing during the playoff games. 
Nice. Random. That's a good tidbit. Uh, uh, That's a we, cool tidbit. It is a cool little tidbit. So she's like knitting like throughout the season, just <laughs> yeah. like someone would like knitting the box score. That's amazing. Uh, with the cast uh, set to to go, they uh, filmed uh, probably what's known as one of the best baseball films ever made. The plot consists of an owner trying to build a terrible team in order to avoid the team's contract and move them to Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, this wasn't just a good plot though. This really almost happened. Cleveland had some of the worst attendance in baseball and throughout the 80s the team was dead last in attendance with something less with sometimes less than 800,000 fans attending games a season. So that's pretty bad. That's less yeah. than 10,000 fans a game. Yeah. Uh, to make things worse, Cleveland's municipal stadium was huge. It seated 80,000 and the stadium oh, looked awful with I less than 10,000 like... fans. Yeah. Scattered amongst the bleachers. Uh, twice, Cleveland was almost Brutal. moved in 1958. They almost moved to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And then half a dozen years later, they actively sought to find a new home in either Seattle, Oakland, or Dallas. Outrage slept, swept through Kansas City, and the team stayed, but didn't do anything worth watching. Once again, they were kind of in like a, you know, I'm sure they were doing that classic like, oh, we're going to leave just to drum up support and, yeah. and uh, get money, essentially. Mm-hmm. But like they got the money to like fix up the stadium and stuff, but they didn't have, you know, they didn't have enough money to like field a good team. Yeah. Um, so they stayed, but they still sucked. Yeah. Uh, by the late 80s spinning spinning yeah spinning. so by the late 80s it seemed like it was just like a matter of time mm-hmm. before cleveland might move right and you have to remember the city's probably not you know doing well yeah and the old their old saying goes like as they do so does the city and that's saying some considering they were great in the 50s and then mm-hmm. just slowly were yeah. terrible yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much a metaphor for the whole american midwest yeah I've um, never heard that before, but okay. Um, so, anyways, uh, by the late 80s, so there's a good chance the movie might have even helped it reignite that fan base and, like, actually bring them back mm-hmm. from the brink. Uh, the real life evil Rachel Phelps character. Uh, and she was her, evil in real life? No, there's, oh. this is the real life example. Oh, okay. The, the historical uh, oh. mirror, if you right. should say, if we want Sorry. to speak metaphorically, uh, was uh, Cleveland tw- or Minnesota t- Cleveland Twins, uh, Minnesota Twins owner Calvin Griffith, in the 1970s during planning stages of constructing the constructing the Metrodome Stadium, Griffith had negotiated an escape clause in the team's lease, which said that if the Twins' home attendance was under 1.4 million per season. For three consecutive years, the team would be released from its contract and leave Minnesota just like in the movie. Mm. Uh, like the character, Griffith led quality players to part via free agency and used cheap, inexperienced rookies and has-beens. The Twins lost 102 games the first year in the Metrodome in 1982, then 92 games the year afterwards. With attendance under 900,000 in each of those seasons, a group of investors from Tampa bought 42% of the team. So of the Twins. Yeah. So everyone like could kind of see the writing on the wall. Right. Right? Yep. One more year left and you got that other 8%. Yeah, exactly. And the Twins were basically on the verge of moving to Florida. To many fans, it appeared that Griffith had weaseled uh, the escape clause into the contract to set up the roster so he could put it into practice. 
The situation was avoided when Griffith sold the twins to banker Carl Polad. So that's like, that's like the real life events that maybe inspired Ward. Yeah. yeah. But at the same point, like it was, it, that was, it almost happened. And if it wasn't uh-huh. for this, Carl, what year was that? 82. 82. 82 twins. Oh, fuck. So, so major like, leagues kind of based on the 82 twins, except they didn't do anything good. They uh-huh. just got sold to a better person. Yeah. <laughs> they you still suck. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, huh, so that's so, interesting. So it was filmed. Uh, Major League was filmed July nineteen eighty eight to October nineteen eighty eight during one of the hottest summers in Milwaukee history. It looks hot in it, that movie. I exactly. Gotta, like, yeah. You can see it. It's yeah. it's just sweaty. A keen eye can see this during scenes of the playoff games. The players are wearing jackets and long sleeves to simulate October baseball, while the fans in the crowd are mostly in shorts and short sleeve t-shirts. Mm. You're pointing out things in movies that like I'm not going to be able to unsee now. Yeah, I know. I, I hope everybody saw this at least a dozen times before you listen to this, and you'll still enjoy it. Oh, it's, it's still a great movie. Yeah. One of the most ridiculous features uh, for baseball fans early on is spring training barracks where all the para- players sleep, apparently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. That is, that is one of the most ridiculous parts of the movie. And, like, maybe that was the case, like, back in the day, but, like, it's just yeah, kind of weird Yeah, I could have, see that, like... Just like you sleep on the field. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I could picture that... I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, my imagination, but for some reason, like you say... Back in the day, I picture like a Dodgers camp back in the day in Florida or wherever the fuck they were, like yeah. where everyone just went to spring training like it was a summer camp. Yeah. And all stayed in yeah, barracks. Like I mean, you well, say. I would think they would rent out hotels, but at the same point, nowadays, like all the players just have homes down near their spring training for mm-hmm. the most part or stay with other players but so it's just a little ridiculous to be like you can't even leave like nobody has it like roger dorn doesn't get to see his wife like he has to sleep in a bunk bed showed up in a porsche yeah (laughs) like let the man the man can rent a fucking suite at the delta please (laughs) (laughs) at least at the howard johnson um so they were actually shot at at cleveland spring training field in tucson arizona and the extras were actually members of the Arizona State baseball team. Mm-hmm. Uh, even with the actors in, in baseball, yeah, even with the actors in baseball shape, tricks were used to make them seem more real. The mound was moved up ten feet to give Sheen's fastball that extra zip to it, uh, and balls were digitally enhanced. Uh, so the audience could see it better when it was going into their glove. Like when Willie Mays Hayes like makes that catch, they yeah. were like, "Yeah, like." I'll tell you in a second. Like he actually did that, but they had to, like, well, you, it's so tough to see. We had to like. They had to CGI. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A more visible ball. Yeah, balls were digitally enhanced so the audience could see it. Uh, whenever players players were making diving or jumping catches, and Willie Mays Hayes running scenes were all in slow mo because Wesley Snipes is not actually fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> So he was. There was no chance he was going to steal fifty bases. No. Uh, to break down the the plot a little bit more for baseball fans, uh, manager Lou Brown says at one point the team is sixty and sixty one, and they would need thirty thir- to win thirty more games. He figured it to make it. Mm. So basically, this team went thirty and eleven in their last forty one games. Yeah, that's like that's 2015 Blue Jays. I was gonna say, that's, well, but they had to win the whole fucking thing. Yeah, so exactly, that's they they had to do it. Yeah, the whole fucking thing. They had to stay. Yeah, 
hundred percent. They they cared so much about Cleveland that eighty nine Cleveland team. Yeah. So they love their city. This isn't so much a review of the movie, but like people should definitely see this movie. Oh, check it out for sure. It is. It is. So it had like a if you, if you don't know it if you're a younger fan or you're an older fan that doesn't watch movies for some reason <laughs> for the last thirty <laughs> if you're a person years. that hasn't seen this movie yeah um, like it, it's a huge impact on baseball culture and history uh, the movie movie opened number one making nearly nine million in the first weekend and generally got good reviews number uh, one yeah it was number one it on was like a baseball movie era though it was I feel like the like mid eighties into like you know, early first couple of years of the nineties was like very 80, punctuated by baseball movies. I, yeah. Field of dreams was 90 or was 89, it 80 was. So this was all, I mean, there eight men out. Like it's all of those. Yeah. No, it's all yeah, of those. like bull Durham was like 80. Eighties yeah, was probably in the natural. We Naturals talked about the natural eighties is probably the best year for baseball movies. Hands mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. It's just this. Yeah. And this was the bookend of right. Hilarity. Right. Um, so it ended up making $50 million, and it was only made for $11 millions, So that was huge success. That's pretty good. Uh, it created a lot of buzz and was quickly embraced by baseball and its fans. In 1989, Mitch Williams joined the Chicago Cubs. Mitch had a funky wind-up and has known to uncork wild pitches more than most professional pitchers. Later in 89, uh-huh. Wrigley Field organist would play Wild Thing whenever Williams uh, was called to take the mound. And later in his career, Williams changed his number to 99 to match Ricky Vaughn's. <laughs> and then Joe Carter took you deep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2-2, two, two, baby. <laughs> Woo. Um, that's like, so that's like same year. So same year. So this movie comes out right at the beginning of the season, and then Williams becomes a big hit in Chicago, and mm-hmm. he gets the wild thing. Everybody loves the wild thing. Right. Uh, so the wild thing it's song... great walk-up music. Well, that's the thing. So the song uh, we can point to as a point in baseball history. It's the beginning, though not entirely the beginning, because there might be an episode on this coming in the future, mm-hmm. of the walk-up song. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't we, really a thing before this. It was not, not to this extent. Yeah. Uh, as I say, there is the there is a little history to this that I've done. I'm like I've trying to think into. back, like because I have like some saved videos of like old games. You know, I have like Dave Steve's no hitter. Yeah. And like the World Series winning games, and I don't I doubt there's walk up. I don't think there is. I don't remember it anyway. So the idea of the personalized song caught on. And players throughout the 90s uh, started curating songs to their personalities. Now every batter and pitcher gets to play their own song as they warm up or walk up to the plate when they're playing at home. Uh That's huge. Uh, The movie also shows how small market teams would eventually compete against the likes of the Yankees and Dodgers. Do you know what your walk-up music would be? Oh, buddy. I was so prepared for this and not prepared for this. Uh, I would say, okay... It's easy, actually. Um, Oh, it's not easy. (laughs) Just say one. Just tell what's in your heart. If I was a closer... Okay. When All Is Said and Done by Napalm Death. Okay. That's a good one. No one would play it. (laughs) I I also love Backbone by Gojira. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Backbone by Gojira would be... ooh. Um, what's, What's yours? 
I was just going to steal Stone Cold Steve Austin's walk up music. <laughs> but you know what? I didn't think about it that much, but uh, yeah. Dude, I listened to that Napalm Death song today. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that would just be. That's when all is said and done. You're going in, game over. Okay. I Carry on. We're talking I've too much about, about our own music. Way too much. You don't understand. Yeah. No doubt. Um, yeah, so the movie also shows how a small market team uh, strapped for cash can actually win by like focusing on players that might be overlooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not it's really. It's like a precursor to Moneyball. A little bit. It's, yeah. a, it's a stretch. We're stretching saying it. But at the same point, the staff... No, we're not. We're not stretching. Okay, well, then <laughs> sell it to me here. So, so the Lou Brown and his staff, uh, they focus on certain tools. Hayes has speed, Serrano has power, and Vaughn has velocity, even though they're imperfect players. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them are great but teams of the future would do the same thing, looking at potential instead of past results. Right. So, they, yeah, in order to find stars, like people that have been overlooked by other organizations. So it's like, it is. It's a little bit. It's not little so bit. much on the stats it's kind part. Of like accident, but like, yeah. accidental. Right, yeah. Just like, well, you can hit it. It's still based on a feeling. Yeah. Uh, the movie just gets baseball right. Whether it's ownership versus management, the big contract star versus the manager, or the rookie pitcher speaking to the veteran catcher. The film was able to show all sides of base, of the baseball world and bring fans into the game and locker room, uh, which is not an, apparently full of immortal gods, just very human, ridiculous, mm-hmm. silly people. Mm-hmm. Um, it captured the intensity and fragility of the game, and just like... In real life, Cleveland took you from laughing at the joke of a team to believing miracles can happen and cheering for them to do the impossible. Even though they still haven't quite done that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got close. That's game seven. And that's Major League. Yeah. That's that movie. That's cool. That's like had some sweet history that like I didn't real. I was going to say, what is that sound? Is that a, a crying child. baby? We're in a the crying city. baby outside? We're in the city. Okay. There was a there was a child. They're probably crying at the result of uh, on the podcast almost being over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not what I was gonna say, but I was gonna say that like how Major League ends, they win the pennant, correct? No, they win but the playoff to make the playoffs. They just make oh, the playoffs. Oh, right, 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 right. So they they tie the right. Yankees and then mm-hmm. and then beat them in the one game playoff. Right. So, so essentially, the first wild card game. I, I guess, but yeah, yeah but remember it would be 89, so, so it's like there's no... I'm stretching. You're stretching. It's fine. I'm it's stretching. Fine. Uh, so I, I do have a few quick facts if you want to finish off on yeah. a few few facts. Yeah, so, fact uh, me up. Uh, Rene Russo and Wesley Snipes were basically unknowns uh, yeah, right. going into this movie. Right. Uh, Wesley Snipes did climb the wall to make that amazing catch, but obviously it wasn't actually hit uh, it was thrown by jaeger mm-hmm. um serrano actually could hit yeah yeah even the curveball maybe who knows <laughs> i doubt they were throwing him too many curveballs yeah. well i mean maybe there's probably a montage bats. where he starts hitting the curve like straight ball <laughs> so right so dennis ball ha- with curve dennis habert bats actually hit home runs at milwaukee municipal stadium which guy is that is that roger dorn no, Serrano. Oh, that's Serrano. Serrano. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the 
like when they were filming scenes mm-hmm. and they were like, okay, we're going to. He was hitting a fucking ton. Yeah. I'm sure they were like pitching him like BP. Yeah, but, but he still. Hit the ball over the I fence. couldn't hit a home run at Milwaukee Municipal Stadium. Apparently it was only 313 down the line. I still couldn't do it. I think you could. Uh, um, I don't think so. Uh, Not with a wood bat. Jeremy Piven was cast as a bench warmer who slung insults from the dugout. That would have been interesting. Yeah, do you know who Jeremy Piven is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's like Steve Carell, but like less ugly. He's the entourage guy. Yeah, he's the entourage guy. Uh, so uh, Jake Taylor's wedding scene uh, was cut from the ending. Apparently there was Jake like, Taylor's wedding scene. Yeah, that you've never seen that because it doesn't exist because they were just like fuck it. Why do we need this guy like to have like a wedding with all his teammates there when they just celebrated on the field? Yeah, like we don't need you know. It's, this it's, movie wasn't about Jake Taylor. Exactly. Uh, Yankees slugger Clue Haywood was played by pitcher <laughs> Peter Vakovich, who won the Cy Young in 1982. Okay. Um, he also he played for the Brewers. Uh-huh. Uh, another former Milwaukee Brewer, uh, Willie Mueller. Plays. Or were they just like hanging out in the stadium? Probably. And they were like, yeah, you so, you're big, you could be a hitter. Yeah, so Willie you could be the big scary guy. Willie Mueller played. Uh, yeah, so another Brewers pitcher, Willie Ma- Mueller. <laughs> Willie Mueller. <laughs> Willie Mueller. What did he do? Uh, he played Duke Simpson, the Yankees pitcher, in the, when the big game, you know? Right, yeah. When they're doing the close-ups of the Yankees pitcher being like, mm-hmm. game yeah, stuff. I'm going to beat you, Cleveland. Uh, okay, so do you remember, this is like, this is ultimately my favorite thing that I looked at, and like, it's the dumbest piece of history, but it's also amazing. Tell me about it. Willie Mays Hayes' car. This is the, 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 like, Rolls-Royce thing? The Rolls-Royce Beetle. Yeah, that's it's right. It's a Beetle. But it's got a Rolls-Royce hood. hood. Yeah, it's <laughs> dope. Yeah, so that is one of the greatest things ever. Where did that come from? Is I, that in I was watching Major League Clips on YouTube last night, and I saw that, and I was like, where the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> is how, that what started you down I mean, this wormhole? I no, no, I'd already, I was watching the videos, so I'd be, like, have the movie fresh right. in my mind. Right. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> It's a customized VW Beetle with a Rolls-Royce grill, replacement trunk, and hood ornament. So, like, the it's the front end, the back end, and the hood ornaments right there. The elegant Beetle kit was, <laughs> as one it was called, was popular in the mid-70s and mid-80s until Rolls-Royce sued the company responsible. Ah, cease and desist. <laughs> so that was a real thing that people had back in the Fuck. day. There's probably uh, a couple of rounds, so there's got to be. There's got to be beetle. a couple of rounds. Oh, I would love to find an elegant beetle. I would pay serious hundreds for that. Serious hundreds. <laughs> well, it would be like 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming it's in bad shape. I'm assuming it's in good shape. All right, well. You'd have to take care of that if you had one of those. Okay, so if you woke up this morning and you were like, I love Major League. That's a great movie, but I wonder how it happened. <laughs> I've just answered your question. There's actually a whole book written on this Mm -hmm. Uh, i if i had more time i probably should have read that book Uh (laughs) well it's it it, there's a foreword by charlie sheen too um but yeah that's how popular this movie was that there is like so much stuff out there on this movie and it was it was it was fun to research and and figure out uh you know it was just wild that like a that this almost did happen to the twins yeah and B, just how shitty Cleveland was. Yeah. <laughs> That's why this movie works. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. 
But until next time, follow us on Twitter. I'm sorry, you don't have anything. Do you no, have I'm done. I'm okay, done. I'm you're sweaty. done. So <laughs> follow us on Twitter at doing baseball. Follow us on Instagram at doing dot baseball. Uh, check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Uh, tell your friends. Yeah. Tell your friends. We're tell having a friends. great time. Uh, until two weeks from now, uh, I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. And we were doing some baseball. All right, let's get out of here. I uh, got a guy on the other line but some white walls. Mm-hmm.